I'd like you to imagine a scenario with me, if you will. In the scenario, we have a farmer who owns thousands and thousands of acres of well-watered land. And on that land, he grows every different kind of amazing, beautiful, tasty fruit. Rows and rows of blueberry bushes and tomato plants and mango trees and pineapple trees and lettuce and all sorts, anything you can imagine, growing bountifully on this land. Now the farmer is perfectly satisfied and perfectly happy but decides out of the kindness of his heart that he would like to share this with others. And so what he decides is he's going to clear some space uh, so that a couple can come and live on his land and enjoy relationship and fellowship with him and enjoy the, the, the beauty of creation and experience what it's like to have all of this amazing fruit produced. So the first thing he does is he clears the land. He takes all of the blueberry bushes that were there and the tomato plants and he transplants them and moves them off the 100 acres uh, somewhere else on his farm. Once the land is all cleared, he builds a house so that they can live there. And then he invites a couple to come and live on the land in the house to cultivate the land for themselves. When the couple arrives, what's waiting for them is the very first thing they see as they get to the house. Bushels and bushels of produce waiting for them. And a note with a promise that there will be more bushels coming every week, even as they begin to cultivate their own land for themselves. Now I tell you that scenario because I hope it illustrates something about creation and about what God did in creating this world in which we live. And this morning we want to think about God's first gift to creation, his greatest gift to creation, and his ongoing gift to creation. So let me invite you, if you will, to take a Bible and turn to the book of Genesis chapter 1. Genesis is the first book in the Bible, and we're in the first chapter. Genesis chapter 1. Now last week we looked at the very first words in the book of Genesis, the very first words in the Bible, the very first words in human history, the very first words in time, space, and all creation, and they read, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And I told you last week, that verse, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, is not really about the mechanics of creation. It's not about the what, it's not about the how, it's not about the when, it's about the who. That God is the subject. God is the creator and we are the creation. God is the one doing all the creation, all of the stuff. He is the subject of all things. This week, we move from the who of creation to the what of creation. What did God create? And for the next few weeks, we're going to be going through specific verses in Genesis 1, looking at the what of creation. Now as we go through Genesis 1, you may also be interested in the how. 
or the when of creation? Did everything evolve? Uh, how old is the earth? How did some of these things come to be? As we go through Genesis 1, we will not be covering the how and the when. Not because they're unimportant, they are very important questions. We are not covering them in this sermon series because I preached a sermon 18 months ago. Now it was before COVID, so it feels like three lifetimes ago. On the how and the when. And on this website, if you go to this website, you can access that sermon uh, rather easily. And I would be honored if you wanted, if you have questions about the how and the when, uh, for you to listen to that sermon. I also published a paper on it in a journal that kind of explains sort of uh, theologically how I think it works from uh, Genesis 1 and John 1 and Hebrews 13 and a number of different passages. That's available free of charge on a blog that Lisa and I do. You can also get there from that site. So when you go there, it will say, here's a sermon you can listen to and here is a paper you can read about the how and the when. So they're very important questions. And I encourage you to use either of those resources or both of those resources to help you think through those things. What we're going to be doing this morning for the next few weeks is talking about the what of creation. And we begin the what of creation in verse three. But before we can talk about what gets created first, we need to understand a very confusing verse, which is number two, verse two. So look with me at Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. In order to understand what God does first, we need to understand what's going on in this verse. And I want to try to explain to you what I think is happening in verse 2, two ways. The first is philosophically. So sort of put on your kind of philosophical thinking caps and think with me. It's a bit deep, but think with me if you will. Philosophically, what we would say is before anything is created, God exists. And God is infinite and eternal, which means that God fills all things everywhere. So before creation, and this is not exactly accurate, but you could think about if this room, if it was just God in the room and no people and no chairs or nothing else, God would fill everything. Every inch of this room would be filled with God because he's infinite and he's eternal. Now, if God wanted to create, which he did, and here's where it gets a little bit philosophically deep, in order for him to do so, what he would have to do is pull himself back, if you will, from some place to make a space to create something that's not God. If God fills everything, in order for there to be anything else, he has to stop filling a space so that there can be something else there. Now that's kind of the philosophical, woo, uh, Maybe the better explanation is a metaphorical one from the parable or the story that I've told at the beginning of the sermon. I found that easier to wrap my mind around. In that story, God is the farmer with thousands and thousands of acres of land. He's perfectly satisfied with his land and all that it produces and who he is. 
But out of love and kindness, he wants to share that with others. Practically speaking, in order to do that, he's got to make some room on his land, this hundred acres, for this couple to come and live. And in order to do that, he has to transplant and move the stuff so that there can be a house and a couple can have some space to to cultivate and care for things themselves. What verse 2 is doing is explaining what's happening. Because, back to the philosophical way, when God pulls himself back from a space, what is in the space is a void. Formlessness. Darkness. Chaos and confusion. And before God creates, there is this space that is a void. That's what verse 2, it's using poetic language, that's what verse 2 is referring to. Likewise, when the farmer gets ready to invite the couple to come and live, he's first got to transplant the blueberry bushes and the mango trees and all the tomato plants. He's got to clear out the land so that he can build the house so that they can have space to live. And when you see the land before the house gets built, it looks barren and empty, a sort of wilderness all torn up. That's what verse 2 is describing. Understanding that, that prepares us then for the first thing that God creates. Verse two is about the void, the darkness, the chaos, the confusion, the wilderness, the barrenness. God has made some space and now into that space he's gonna create. And the question is, what's the first thing he's going to create in this space? Verse three. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light, what? Day. And the darkness he called night and there was evening and there was morning the first day. The very first thing that God creates is light. Why? Well, again, two ways to give this answer. One is scientifically. Light is the basis of life. If there is no light, you can't have life. Non-Christian scientists, Christian scientists, everybody agrees light is the basis of life. Light is where you get energy in the universe. Light is where warmth comes from. Light allows photosynthesis for plants to produce oxygen, for humans and animals to breathe. Light is necessary to be able to see. Light is the essence and the building block of life. So why does God create light first? First, you can't have life without light. And so the very first thing God does is he creates light. Well, that's kind of the scientific answer to the question. There's another biblical theological answer to the question that I find to be a little bit more uh, rewarding. Think of it this way. In 1 John 1, verse 5, we are told God is what? God is light. Now, there's only three times in the Bible where you ever get a sentence where you get God, the linking verb is, and some sort of noun on the other side. 
There's lots of adjectives, but only three times you ever get a noun. God is spirit, God is love, and God is light. And somehow those three words, spirit, love, and light, define God in his essence so that you can say God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. Now what happens when God who is light and fills the whole room decides to make some space so that he can create something? Well, what you have in that space is void or darkness. That's why darkness is mentioned in verse 2. What is the very first thing that God does after he pulls himself back from that space? He gives a gift of what he is. He's not inhabiting that space in the same fullness as he was before creation. And so the very first thing when he pulls back is to give a gift of who he is into the space. You can see that in the analogy of the farmer. When the farmer clears the land, what's the first gift that's waiting for the couple when they come to the house? Baskets of produce from the land. The land itself no longer is producing blueberries or tomatoes. That's all being produced other parts of the farm. But the farmer wants the couple to experience the blessing of if uh, the farmer was farming it himself. And so he gives the produce from his land. The very first thing God gives, the very first gift he gives to creation is what he himself produces. The basis of life given by God into this blank, barren, chaotic space. Now that's kind of deep philosophically. So I'm gonna let you have just a minute. You know, I'm a fast talker and so sometimes in sermons I think, well, I just keep talking and talking. I'm gonna let you have just a minute and think about that. And then we'll go on to the second point. All right, got it all figured out? All right, that's God's first gift to creation, light. Genesis 1-3 also points the way towards God's greatest gift to creation. And for that, I'd like to invite you to turn to the book of John, the Gospel of John, chapter 1. That's page 860 if you're using one of the church Bibles. We heard a few of these verses read earlier for us in the service. John chapter 1. When you get there, I want you to notice Genesis 1 begins in the beginning. God created the heavens and the earth. John chapter 1 begins in the beginning. So it is also telling us what was going on at the same time Genesis 1 is talking about. But John chapter 1 tells us some other things that we don't find out from Genesis 1. Namely, in the beginning was the Word. This is referring to Jesus. In the beginning was Jesus, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning... Through him all things were made. 
Without him, nothing was made that has been made. So question, according to John 1, who's the person who actually speaks the words, let there be light, in Genesis 1? Jesus. God the Father is creating all things through Jesus and there is nothing that is created that isn't created through Jesus. And if you want to know who actually said the words, let there be light, John is telling us that's Jesus in the beginning, uncreated, with God the Father saying, let there be light. Verse four, in him was life, in Jesus was life, and that life was the what? Light of all mankind. The light shines where? In the darkness. That's Genesis 1-2. The light shines in the darkness. The chaos, the void, the confusion. And the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. And now comes the section that I'd really love for you to pay very close attention to. Verse nine. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him, meaning when Jesus showed up 2,000 years ago, nobody looked at him and said, oh yeah, that's the guy who said let there be light all those years ago. Nobody recognized him as the creator of the world. When he showed up into the world he created, nobody knew who he was. He came to, that was, it was his own. But his own did not receive him. Yet. To all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. And then here's the verse. The word, Jesus, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. Now imagine in our scenario, the farmer's cleared out the 100 acres, he's built a beautiful house, invited the couple to show up, provided fruit from his own land for them to experience, has been faithful to do it week after week to give them produce, even as they're supposed to be getting their own land, the land that he's letting them use, up and going. But imagine that that couple, instead of getting along with one another, start to fight with one another. And instead of being able to farm, suppose they're completely unsuccessful and the farm is just a train wreck. And then instead of eating the produce when it shows up, they don't even notice that it's there and it all spoils sitting there on their deck. Well, the farmer did not clear the land so that it would be this kind of chaotic mess. He's trying to fix the chaos. Well, what would the farmer do? Well, according to John 1, what the farmer does is he comes and pitches his tent right next to the house. That's what the, he came and dwelt among us. It literally means he pitched his tent. And so the farmer comes and lives near the couple because he didn't clear the land because he needs more food. He was already producing food. 
He cleared the land because he wanted the relationship with the couple. He wanted them to have the joy of producing something from the land. And he wanted to experience the blessing of all of this done the way it's supposed to be done. And when it's not, God comes closer and lives near the couple. That's what verse 14 is saying. The greatest gift that God ever gave to creation, God is light. And so this light incarnated himself in the person of Jesus and made his dwelling among us. You see, what we said is in Genesis 1-2, the reason that there is chaos and void is because God pulled himself back so he could create something. Anytime God pulls back from something, there is chaos because God is life. But in John 1, what we find out is that you and I as human beings, we have pulled back from God. That we have disobeyed. We have chosen our own way. We've not listened. We've ignored his blessings. We've chosen to fight with one another. What happens when we pulled back from God? The same problem. Chaos. Formlessness. Void. Darkness. And into the midst of that darkness and chaos and void, God didn't just say, let there be light. God himself walked into the void as light. And the greatest gift that God gave to creation is he himself became one of us. And he himself came to live with us so that he might die for us to forgive us for our sins. Now watch how this gets tied to Genesis 1-3. It happens in 2 Corinthians 4-6. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness. What is that referring to? Genesis 1-3. This is the quote. This is the same God who spoke light into creation. The very first thing God did was to say, into the darkness, let there be light. That same God who said those words in Genesis 1-3 made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. The greatest gift God's given to creation is that when he pulled back to make space, he said, let there be light, and he put his essence into the void. When we pulled back out of sin and disobedience, he did something even greater. He stepped into the void. And if you're willing to believe that this person, Jesus, who nobody when he showed up thought, oh, that's the creator of the world. If you're willing to believe that this Jesus is the one who said, let there be light in the beginning, that he, the light of the world, had come because he loves us and wants to have a relationship. Anybody who is willing to accept God who stepped into the void, Jesus does the exact same miracle in our lives that he did in Genesis 1-3, meaning into the void and the chaos that we have created through our sin and disobedience, Jesus steps in and if we will believe that he is the one who's come to save us, what he does is he simply speaks the same words he said in Genesis 1-3. And into your heart and into mine, he says, let there be light. 
and a miracle happens. A miracle as great as all of creation. God creates a new life. The same God who has the power to take chaos and void and darkness in this world and create this amazing creation, that same God is offering to you this morning to speak those same words that created this whole world into your heart to create something new and beautiful and eternal. And so what I want to say to all of you, those who are listening online, those who are present here, if you have not yet believed that this Jesus, this carpenter, this guy who lived in Galilee 2,000 years ago, that that person is the one in the beginning who said, let there be light. If you've not yet accepted, that's how God is reaching out to us. That he doesn't want to leave us on our little hundred acres destroying everything in the world. That he loves us too much and so he has drawn near to us. That he set up his tent with us because he wants to bless us. He wants to teach us how to farm. He wants us to experience his love for us. If you've not accepted that yet, I know that in your life there's chaos. There's darkness. There's a void. There's confusion. That's what happens when God is not present. And if you want that chaos and that confusion and that darkness to go away, all you have to do is in the quiet of your heart right now, simply say to Jesus, please speak those words into my heart. All you got to do, no one's watching except him is in the quiet of your heart, you say to him, I want you to speak, let there be light into my life. I want to see this world. I want to see my life begin to produce fruit. I don't want more of the chaos and more of the darkness and more of the confusion. I want life. And Jesus promises that he will create it. So I want to give you a minute, just in the quiet of your heart. You don't have to raise your hand or come down front or do anything like that just in the quiet of your heart. If you want Jesus to create life in your life, just ask him right now to say those words from 2 Corinthians 4. Into Let there be light. talked about God's first gift to creation. We've talked now about his greatest gift to creation. Now I want to share with you how Genesis 1-3 points towards God's ongoing gift to creation. And for this, I'd like to invite you to turn to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews 10, that's page 973. God's first gift to creation is good news for all of humanity. God causes the sun to shine on the righteous and the wicked alike. All of us get to experience the blessing of light. God's greatest gift is also for all people, but especially this morning, it's for those who've not yet accepted Jesus to simply say those words and to experience life. 
God's ongoing gift that we're about to talk about is especially focused for those of us who are believers in Jesus. In Hebrews 10, we're going to start in verse 19, but the author of Hebrews is using some different metaphors and some different language. It sounds like really theologically deep stuff. Let me kind of walk us through it very quickly. Verse 19, therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is his blood, body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, stop there for a moment, essentially all that saying is, when the void got opened up, because we chose to disobey, because we chose to ignore God, God stepped into the void in the person of Jesus to bridge the gap between God and us. That's what that's saying, is that Jesus has opened up the way for us to no longer be separated from heaven and from God. Okay, so therefore, because that's now possible, Verse 22, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. In other words, we want to experience the fruit that the land is supposed to produce. We have been entrusted to take care of this land. We want to encourage one another. We want to help each other produce the fruit that's supposed to be here. How? How do you draw near to God? How do you go across this void? How do you experience the fruitfulness that we are designed to do? Verse 25. By not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Whenever we pull away from God, the result is always chaos, void, darkness, and confusion. What the author of Hebrews is saying is that if you have allowed Jesus to speak the words, let there be light into your heart, you're a Christian. You don't have to say those words again. Creation's already happened. But as you and I are living our lives as a new creation, there is still a tendency to pull back from God. And the author of Hebrews is saying, no, draw near to God. How? Through this what we're doing right now. Don't give up meeting together. This is speaking about assembling together in person to experience God's presence in this place. Why? Because God is light. And that you can't go through the week without light from God. And that the world in which we live is darkness. Question. What day of the week did Jesus say, let there be light in Genesis 1-3? The first day of the week, which is what day? Sunday. Sunday. Okay. Light is not created on Monday. In the previous service, I tried to go through them and I got them all messed up. I'll see if I can do it now. Sunday is light. Monday is sky and sea. Tuesday 
Tuesday is vegetation. Wednesday is sun, moon, and stars. Thursday is birds and fish. Friday are animals and humans. Saturday is Sabbath, which means let there be light is uttered on a Sunday. Not Monday, Sunday. Second question. What day of the week did Jesus, the light of the world, was he raised from the dead after darkness and chaos had put him to death? Sunday. The day in which the light of the world is resurrected. Do you see the word day in verse 25? It's not talking about Genesis 1-3, the day light was created. It's not talking about resurrection day. It's talking about another day that's coming in the future, a day when the darkness and the chaos of sin and disobedience get so bad that finally the light of the world returns back to this earth, not as a humble fisherman or, or carpenter in Galilee, but as the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the creator of all things, the farmer who owns every bit of land that everything is happening on, when he comes back as the light of the world. And what the author of Hebrews is saying is, Look, there's coming a day when the light will return to the earth. But you and I who are Christians, we don't have to wait for that day. As you see the darkness around you increasing, how can you keep from experiencing the chaos and the void? He says, draw near to God. Every week the farmer puts the bushels of baskets at the house for the couple to enjoy. Every week God says, I'm not just speaking light long time ago and I'm not just coming in the person of Jesus 2,000 years ago. Every week I will be there with you to give you light. See what it says? Don't give up meeting together. To give up assembling together is to pull away from God. I'm telling you, all that is waiting for you if you pull away from God is chaos and darkness and confusion. I love the way he says it. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Do you know that not going to church is a habit? It's a habit you develop. We think of it as, oh, I got out of the habit of going to church. No, what actually is happening is you've fallen into the habit of not going to church. Because it's easy, isn't it? It's easy. You're like, well, I'll just take a few weeks off and then a few more weeks off. And then all of a sudden, months or years have gone by, and what is happening? Darkness. Chaos. Confusion. It's always what happens. You're not a special case. You're not sort of cursed. It's always, it happens to everybody. And God's encouragement is, it's like, no, draw near to me. All the more as you see the day approaching, what the author is saying is, look, it's going to get darker and darker out there. Can I get an amen? amen. Does it not feel dark? Does it not feel confusing? Does it not feel chaotic? That is a sign that where we need to be is here where the light of the world is shining. 
You cannot make it through weeks and months and years without light. Light is the substance of life. And what's happening out there is chaos. And so God says, I love you too much to abandon you to the darkness. And the more you see the darkness, that should encourage you, come into the light. COVID-19, what's going on politically, what's going on racially, what's going on in school districts, this is not a sign to stop going to church. This is a sign of this is exactly where we need to be because when we gather here, the light of life is shining to give us some clarity because you live out there and it's confusing and everything is darkness and you read the news and you go, what is happening? And God says there's no light out there. And all the more as you see the day approaching, you and I ought to commit ourselves saying, I'm going where the light is. And the light's not the building. The light's not the staff. The light's not all of the programs. The light is God's promise. When you gather together, even just two or three of you, in my name, I, the light of the world, will be present in your midst. And what will he give us? Well, what does light give us? Energy. Warmth. The ability to breathe. Sight to see. Genesis 1-3. God says, let there be light. The very first gift he gives to creation is what he had to pull back in order to create is life. The greatest gift he gave to creation, is that when we pulled back, he ran after us. And he incarnated himself in the person of Jesus. And the ongoing gift that he gives to us is week in and week out, the farmer says the basket of fruit will be there. Week in and week out, wherever you gather together, I will be in your midst. And in the darkness, you will see light. And in the chaos, you will hear order. And in the confusion, you will hear peace. Thank you so much for joining us for this podcast from Calvary Church. We hope this message has brought the light and hope of God's presence into your life, refreshing your soul for the journey the Lord has you on. If you have a spiritual need or would like to connect further with the work God is doing through Calvary Church, seek us out online at calvarygr.org. On our website, you can also find an archive of previous messages from this series. Thanks for listening.